Psalm 150 says this. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with trumpet sound. Praise him with lute and harp. Praise him with tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with sounding cymbals. Praise him with loud clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. This is indeed the word of the Lord. Praise be to Christ. As we look at kingdom practices, I hope that you've noticed that oftentimes uh, God is geographically described in his sanctuary, in his mighty heavens. And we're to praise him there. This happens in the Lord's Prayer and other times. And it's a generous, important condescension, not with a negative sense, right? That we locate God for our own, for the settling of our own soul in how we relate to him. So the kingdom practice is a, is a somewhat basic one to Christians, and yet moving towards it wisely is perhaps anything but basic. The kingdom practice is praise, Praise of the Lord. I titled the sermon, How Fast and How Many Decibels Should Our Praise Be? Because this is loud. I wonder how often during the... I wasn't really engaged uh, in church as in the staff or leadership during the worst of the worship wars that I've been aware of. Um, So in the 90s, there was a lot of discussion over drums, you know, a lot of discussion over organs, And I wonder how often uh, Psalm 150 was referenced. Now, it's not just loud, although there's a lot about noise in Psalm 150. There are also some very quiet and beautiful instruments referenced, like a harp. But I wonder how often in the worship wars, those on the side of drums and loud, repetitive music would reference Psalm 150, which is but six verses long with 13 encouraging commands to praise the Lord. We locate God in the heavens, in his sanctuary, remembering that he transcends time and space, that he is both present there and present here. He is the only being that can be in more than one place at one time, which is a profound encouragement in all sorts of ways. But for the purposes of praise, it lifts our heads right? To praise him in the sanctuary. For the ancient Israelites, there was a time that they had a temple and a time that they did not have a temple. I'm glossing over thousands of years of history. And yet here we have at the end of the Psalms the reminder to praise God somewhat, uh, somewhat transcendently with respect to that question. Where is the sanctuary? Among other places, it's above. The Hebrew word shamayim is a, is a plural, but used as both a singular and a plural, which is why you'll see some translations uh, wrestle with it, both in Genesis and here, um, because the heavens um, are not 
more specifically a place than they are a realm where God exists. And eventually that realm will be both manifested and fully overlap with this one. But in the meantime, we praise the Lord in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. If you have a a version of the Bible like mine, references Genesis 1, verse 6 through 8. I'll look at those in just a minute. Praise the Lord. This is Hillel. This is hallelujah. I was... (laughs) I took the uh, three of the four parts of the humanity sequence at the University of Missouri, which is an excellent and excellently taught sequence. And a professor came in to teach on Job, and he put hallelujah up on the board, and of course, in Hebrew, and of course, I could read it because I was studying the languages. And he asked 400 students if anyone could read it, and I chickened out. And I'm still bothered because uh, he was. Well, what he was attempting to accomplish rhetorically was kind of annoying me, and so I could have thwarted him by reading it, but I didn't. Which, if you knew me in the 90s, you would know was off-brand. I really liked to challenge everybody. Hallelujah's profound, old, glorious, honoring opportunity we have. Friends, people have been saying this to the Lord, Yahweh, for thousands of years. Angels have been singing it. Revelation 5. For thousands of years. Men and women who have worshipped him have been saying this for thousands of years. You are in good company in praising the Lord. The Israelites, um, and for us now, there's a challenge to this, because where is his sanctuary? You know, they, they wandered. They were nomads, starting in Genesis chapter 12, as they became God's people. Abraham founded. And they ended up becoming slaves for a few hundred years. And they were settled in Canaan, Then there was a temple, and then they were exiled away from the temple, and the temple's destroyed in the first century. And so there's a challenge here for followers of God, and now for the New Testament, the church means gathering of people, not the building. So God is not more in the building than he is outside. More importantly, his uh, sanctuary is in you according to Corinthians. But Psalm 150 is deliberately referencing Genesis chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. And God said, Let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. Genesis is a poetically, uh, is poetic prose. Genesis 1 is poetic prose. And God made an expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse, and it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. Shemayim. Both a realm where God exists and a transcendent idea that directs our praise, that gives it a direction. It is not vague. It's not amorphous. Our praise isn't um, sent out to wander. It is sent to God. 
So we're given his location, not so that we know where to find him, but to settle our own being. We praise the Lord according to his excellent greatness. Do you like that phrase? I'm I'm American from Oklahoma. I'm Gen X. Um, I have bought into the autonomy or to the idolatry of self, the way that it's spun in both the 20th and the 21st century, probably around the world, but I'm most familiar with America. So I'm sort of like, really? Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Is he that great? Is he excellently great? Yeah, he is. He doesn't need our praise. Did you know that? Do you understand that? But he's worthy of it, so we praise him. We don't get something from praising him in a direct transactional sort of way, but it is who we are to praise, and therefore it's a profound move of our humanity to praise worship him. How is he excellently great? The nation of Israel for uh, thousands of years would immediately have thought of the Exodus, wherein he brought them out of slavery and rescued them. I'm going to read Exodus 19, 4 through 6, the importance of which almost cannot be overstated as both explaining who God is and what he does. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. God is so loving that he rescues his people. He is so loving that he rescues his people from slavery into purpose, that they might teach the world about the worship of a God who is good and who actually exists, and away from the worship of false deities that, among other things, would demand child sacrifice. Speaking of the Canaanite deities. In Ephesians chapter 1, the the, the Exodus is referenced as a metaphor, not because it is a metaphor, but because it is the best metaphor for understanding the work of Jesus on your behalf. Psalm 150 is a precursor to that, doesn't know what you know about justification and the atonement and the work of Christ on your behalf. You have been brought out of a worse slavery into the love of God and into purpose, which is why we praise him according to his excellent greatness, for he has rescued you. This is the story. We both see it in a large way in the scriptures, and we see it repeated as a pattern. The story begins with him who has always existed and who has always been in community with The Son and with the Spirit. The Father, Son, and Spirit have always existed and will always exist and have always been in community. And and as an overflow of their love, they created angels 
and in the world and you and me. Then the story gets a little dark. People chose to stop trusting Adam and Eve, chose to stop trusting the good heart of God, and sin and the curse entered the world. And what does God do? He goes after his people, redeems them, and then recreates. It's both the large story of Scripture and a story we see repeated over and over again, and all of it speaks to his excellent greatness, which is why we praise him for his excellent greatness. He is worthy of that praise, and we are the ones who know that in some measure and respond accordingly. It has been an interesting challenge to pastor for the last 500-ish days. It has been an interesting challenge to both encourage people to worship and encourage them to wisely consider how and where to worship. And it is now an interesting challenge for me to encourage you to begin to prioritize corporate worship in person again. And I know it's the summer, and many of you are, are going to do that in September. That's when it's going to become more of a priority for you. And yet in truth, one day in seven is set aside for the worship of God. I did that a little early, Joseph. Sorry. And so I hope that you prioritize Sundays as a day of resurrection celebration. I love to throw this curveball at people on non-Easter. He is risen. Right. Because every Sunday is a day of praise of that resurrection, a day of rest and celebration. And so the 13 commands in six verses of Psalm 150 remind us to prioritize the corporate worship of the people of God. I'm not saying don't get on your sailboat. I'm saying sail and prioritize the corporate worship of the people of God. It is for your good. It is for <laughs> the, all the things that Psalm 150 says. So I'm encouraging you to prioritize it. And I'm encouraging you to begin to plan when you're going to rejoin us in person. For some of you, that's not soon. I understand. Both the existential part of that, the fear and dread, uh, and also the health aspects. But it is time to, I believe, begin prioritizing corporate worship with the people of God in the actual gathering place that we choose. I know many of you are joining us from uh, other places. Good. Thanks. Glad you're here. You need a local church, too. And it can be both and. You can go to both. That's fine. Psalm 150 encourages us to praise the Lord according to his excellent greatness, loudly. And this is why I wonder how much Psalm 150 was utilized by the worship war people. Bill, you're a little bit older than me. Was he used a lot? Okay, yeah. Trumpet, lute, harp, tambourine, dance, strings, pipe, cymbals, and then cymbals mentioned again. I mentioned this before, but not all these are fast instruments. I think of cymbals as uh, fast, like I think of this, right? But they're often used for slow. This is not an indictment on 
fast music. It's an encouragement to praise with all of the instruments. Slow instruments and fast instruments. I do like the repetition here because it's poetic. Praise him with sounding cymbals. Verse 5, praise him with loud clashing cymbals. Um, This is an onomatopoeia in Hebrew. And I think of onomatopoeias, onomatopoeias as like pow. Apparently onomatopoeias are complex. They can be real words that sound like real things, like zap. They can be real words made to, set, made to evoke sound of real things, like meow or woof. Did you know that there are, like, most languages have a different word for woof than woof? You probably already knew that. I think I knew that, and then I forgot, and then in my research for the sermon, I was like, wow, it's a lot of ways to say woof. They can be made-up words that sound like real things. James Joyce invented the word tatteratatatat in the book Ulysses to talk about door knocking. If I remember Kratz, not onomatopoeia, never mind. An onomatopoeia can be a series of letters that mimic a raw sound. Like what's the onomatopoeia for sleeping in a cartoon? Right? This is sistai. Sistai. We were discussing before the service what these instruments actually looked like at the time. And we're not really sure. There was a discussion over the um, elements that would have created stringed instruments 3,000 years ago, and I'm just going to leave that. What I want to encourage you on, that what Psalm 150 does indirectly is, does your belief in God, does your life match it? You know what I mean? Let me say it this way in a potential extension of the point of verse 5 of Psalm 150. Is your belief obvious? Can people tell? Is it harmonious? That was not harmonious because I'm not Jerome. Is your belief syncopated? with the other music in your life. This is an extended metaphor. This is, I'm indirectly drawing on Psalm 150 and then directly drawing on the rest of Scripture. Your praise of the Lord is not just on Sunday when you sing and pray. Your praise of the Lord, your worship of God, is something you do all the time. And it's either in sync with Him and His ways and His heart, or it's out of sync. And when it's out of sync, we notice and we pay attention when we redirect. So that can be your words, that can be your checkbook, that can be your thoughts, that can be your emotions. The Psalms are so kind to us if we will but learn from them. Psalm 1 teaches us that trusting the Lord is akin to allowing ourselves to be a tree that gives rest and shade and is rooted and solid. And the alternative is to be like dust. Very, very fine chaff. Psalm 2 tells us what we already know, that the nations rage and people plot in vain, and in vain means ignoring the Lord. We go through the Psalms and we have uh, David as a representative, a type of Christ who leads us into worship of the true God. We have post-temple psalms that learn how to complain to God. 
And we have Psalm 150 commanding us in an indirectly encouraging way that we can and should still praise the Lord for his glory and our own good. So your worship, both on Sunday mornings and Wednesday afternoons and Fridays, I hope that it's obvious. I hope it's harmonious with all other parts of your life. And I hope it's syncopated with the pieces of your life. That's me attempting to riff on someone 50 both in tone and in word. I don't know how it went. You can tell me later. Or not. Here's a symbol. Yeah. Thanks, Brian. Is your worship, which is everything that you do, as one made in the image of God, is it obvious, harmonious, and syncopated with everything else? Like a symbol. We praise the Lord according to his excellent greatness, loudly, along with creation. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. The worship of God not only links you, you're not only linked to the Holy Spirit, you're not only linked to believers outside of space and time, you're not only linked to believers all around the world today that are celebrating the resurrection of Christ, you're also linked to the other aspects of creation that worship the Lord not as specifically as we do, but simply because of who or what they are. My daughter and I are going whale watching tomorrow, weather permitting. And the last time that we went whale watching, she said to me after we saw a fin whale, a minke whale, and a humpback whale, she said, I'm so glad whales are real. And I said, did you not believe they were real? And she goes, no, I knew they were real. I'm just so glad they're real, which I thought was a delightful way of explaining herself. Whales worship by being whales. You and I worship by corporately worshiping and then directing all of our ways and our words in the way that he commands and describes. One of our cats escaped this week. My wife and I were kind of excited about maybe having less creatures in the house that we need to take care of. Then he came back. And we're more glad that he came back, but for just a minute we're like less hair, less to feed, less meowing. And it's hard for me to say this, but cats worship by acting like cats. The reason it's hard for me to say this is I'm a dog person. I think most people fall into one of those two camps. But what's glorious about dogs is when they act like dogs. But what's glorious about people is when they follow the commands of Jesus. Not least of which are showing up and worshiping on Sundays. And then trusting him as he forms the rest of our lives to worship him other days. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. And friends, don't miss the beauty of how this speaks to your heart, though it is indirect. There's a question that you ask. It's part of the reason that you're watching church right now. Because you asked this question, and the Lord answered it first and foremost in the work of Christ, and then in pursuing you in love, and then your response in faith. And here's the question. Is there even a story? And if so, do I have any part in it? The, histor 
the historical veracity of the scriptures, the truthfulness of them, speaking to the historical veracity of the person of Jesus, the truthfulness of who he was and is, the historical veracity of the resurrection, then linked to Psalm 150 tells us, yes, there's a story. Yes, it has purpose. And yes, we are actually called into that. You are called to glorious purpose. What is that purpose? Worship God which actually heals and restores your own being. That's not why we do it. We do it for his glory. We do it for the good of our neighbor because in worshiping him, we become kinder and better and more loving and more able to reconcile and forgive. And That's the second reason we worship is to then become better lovers of neighbor and then to become our full selves. But Psalm 150, in glorious praise, an onomatopoeic reference to loud symbols, is reminding you indirectly of something, that God loves you, and he exists, and he calls you to himself because he loves you, and then he gives you glorious purpose as his agent of love and worship of him. Exodus 19, Acts chapter 1. Psalm 150, by application. Implication. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, we praise you. We praise you in your sanctuary. We praise you for your mighty deeds. We praise you because you are worthy of praise. Would you come alongside us in ways we can sense and understand. We believe we already have you in the Holy Spirit, and yet we do not always sense you because of the curse. Would you give us such a strong sense of you that it would become easy to worship at all times in all of the ways that you command? Amen.